Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. Hello, and you are very welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I hope you are safe and well as you tune into the show this week. Now, if you've ever had a job, you've probably had a manager who at one point or another has come up with a bright idea. And I'm not going to be overly cynical or not, but sometimes as employees, when we hear our manager has a new bright idea, you know, the eyebrows get raised and we might not really pay all that much attention. Let's be honest about it. We probably think something on the lines of, oh, crikey, what are they on about now? And how much is this going to bother my take out of my day? You know, um, sometimes uh, we don't have those reactions, but I think we tend to be a bit cynical when our employee employers and managers announce these bright ideas at times. But, you know, we've been talking a lot in recent weeks about the temperature changes and the extreme weather across the continent. And like last week, you, like 27, 28 degrees in Ireland in September is not normal. Now, it might have been a bit enjoyable for some people, you know, particularly after all the rain in the summer, but things are changing and we we have a role to play in, in what's happening to the environment around us. And a lot of people want to make changes and businesses have a role to play in that. Companies, employers, managers, the public service, we all have a role that we can play. And it can be hard to know how to approach this because it is really an overwhelming problem. And how can your company or or your group make a difference? But Hans Omer of Global Action Plan Ireland is going to tell us exactly now how we can get our teams of uh, well-meaning employers to convince their employees to to make changes and to get the ball rolling in, in their own lives. Hans, you're very welcome to Let's Go Green. Hi, Esling. So so good to be back on the show. Thank you very much. And Hans, I could see now, like you were kind of giggling when I was saying, you know, the eyebrows go up or what's your man at now? Like we've all been there, you know. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we've also seen the inverse. Uh, and I think... Um, we work quite a bit with companies uh, all over Ireland. Um, sorry, I should say we, I work for Global Action Plan. We're an environmental NGO based in Ballymun. And we work with community groups and schools. We're also with businesses uh, on issues of, of sustainability. And the more I talk to companies, the more I hear that they are actually catching up with their own employees very mm-hmm. often, particularly younger people. They're going oh, it's nice that you're paying me and I obviously need a salary, et cetera. But I also want you as an employer to, you know, do the right thing. Um, so that image that you you sketched there earlier about, you know, the manager waking up one day and going, I have a great idea. It does happen. It does happen mm-hmm. a lot. But actually what we're seeing also is that uh, there's a bottom-up movement uh, for change. And that is coming from younger people employees in particular, but actually from across the field saying, well, guys, we need to wake up to this sustainability thing. Yeah. What is it that we should we should be doing? What is it that we can be doing? 
and uh, and that's the space that we want to be in as a as an environmental charity uh working with with companies and i think like like i'm part of the generation that grew up with recycling you know and it and it is sometimes then if you go into a place of work and you know maybe in a new job and you're going oh hold on a second where's the recycling bin or where's the composting bin it can be quite jarring to not find one, you know, or to, and so it is, it, and it, it is fantastic. And I know I was joking, you know, it, um, about the cynical employees, um, but it is, it, it's something that it can be not necessarily divisive, but just it's complex. And we should be clear here, Hans, like your efforts in Global Action Plan, you're working on those behavioral changes and working with people to to help them help their employees come up with these ideas. And we get into that in a moment. But there are like the local Leos, the local enterprise offices right around the country have programs and schemes and um, they're either funded or subsidized programs where if any business person is listening to this, you can apply for those and you can have a green audit of your company done as to how you run the business in a more sustainable way. But what we're going to talk about now is about those I suppose, less tangible actions in some ways that they might not necessarily how you um, affect how you operate your business, but they will affect the morale in, of staff, I would imagine. It's, it's a really good distinction that you're drawing there, Ashley. Thank you for that. Because, yeah, um, you can buy in expertise and there's lots of people luckily around Ireland who really know how companies can reduce their carbon footprint or, you know, do better on biodiversity, et cetera, or just save energy. Mm. Uh, and this is really important. So if there's any business people listening to the show today, you're absolutely right. They need to look for for assistance. And uh, uh, it's difficult for smaller companies because it costs money. Most of those services cost money. Yeah. But actually, there are also, there are supports particularly for SMEs also. Uh, and like it, your local enterprise office, that's the starting point. Because, absolutely. you know, go yeah. there, they will find help you find somebody and what program you might be able to avail of for, um, yeah. through their stream of funding. Um, but, so, yeah, but, but talk right, to me that... about, about your own project, Hans. Like, first of all, how did this all come about? Why did you decide to go into workplaces? Um, well, we're an organization that is interested in behavior change, like you said. So we're helping people make better decisions, I suppose, so that on on the we're all on a journey towards greater sustainability. And um, we we you know do work in the communities, uh, and uh, over the years we've been contacted by companies who wanted, for instance, to come to our community gardens yeah. uh, and to use it as a place for you know team building. And like one company, I, I, am I allowed to? Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. So we as long as it's like, positive hands. Yeah, it is positive. <laughs> Deloitte came to us and uh, they said, oh, can we spend some time in your garden? And they loved it. And they said, well, actually, you know what? We should be doing more with you guys because Deloitte is a company that deals it, or their, their key job is to help other companies do better, you know, and they have fantastically smart people with a legal or a technical or an IT or whatever, loads of different backgrounds. So they said, you know, we'd like to work with you, give you some of our advice pro bono, et cetera. And, and that's really nice. It's a partnership that continues to this day. Um, but we also, you know, in talking to them, 
they it, it's a partnership so it's two way they're also asking us for ideas and so we learned from them they and we gave them a bit of ideas as well but you know i suppose this is a long way of saying um the companies have to figure things out themselves as well and uh, when we learned that actually a small little environmental NGO like ourselves can actually an- advise a huge company such as Deloitte, mm-hmm. thought, oh, hold on, maybe we should do more of this stuff. And we've we've been talking to lots of companies, really large ones and really small ones, and they all have the same problem. And it's okay. going okay. We we now know we need to do something. We you know we we get it. This climate change stuff is actually a lot more serious than we thought. And we need to to change. And um, we should say, just for people listening, of course, uh, Deloitte is one of what is colloquially known as the big four. There is Ernst & Young and PwC and Grant Thornton. And you just we've mentioned them all now, Hans. So let's continue. Yeah, very good. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah the, the level playing field. But um, so, you know, the, the companies are actually asking for advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not just asking, you know, give me a nice gizmo or a new machine that can sort this out. They're actually realizing that, you know, this is we need to change the way we think about stuff. And, and that's where a behavior change organization like ourselves can come in. And we say, well, how do you make change anywhere? You know, it's actually not that difficult, but you do need to think about what how it goes. Um, and Essentially, it is about talking to each other, you know. Mm-hmm. So we're working with companies about creating the space to learn from each other and to learn from others. So, um, you know, one of the first things we say is start something like we call them a green team. You know, those people who are really fired up about this issue, get them, give them space to meet together you know, come up with ideas, really good ones, really bad ones. It doesn't matter, you know, just as long as they're, teasing them out and then bring in other voices, uh, you know, not as experts, but just as people who have a different experience and a different, um, you know, idea, et cetera. So get talking and then make sure that you start somewhere because don't let better be the, the enemy of the good. You know, um, we're, I, I said before, I think that we're on a journey. All of us are on a journey towards a, a post mm-hmm. carbon uh, society. And we can talk forever about how difficult that journey is and how long it's going to be and how costly and all that sort of stuff. We can talk we ourselves can... out of any any action at all. Yeah, exactly. So much better is to start taking that first step. And then also we are always really keen to celebrate that first step and then, you know, encourage each other to take the second and the third and to keep going even when we get tired or we again we get worried or depressed or whatever um so that's really what we try to do with community with with companies uh, all over ireland um so we can help them along by uh doing a workshop or we can uh, you know talk to their senior management or we can do a a quiz or we can get people to come to our community garden where they just really can enjoy the beauty of plants and the beauty of sticking your fingers in the dirt um, or we also organize a climate competition for for companies. And uh, if I can plug that a little bit on your show in uh, in the middle of October, uh, we will we're inviting companies now to sign up for this competition where they are essentially competing against teams from other companies about who can reduce their carbon footprints the most. Okay, and, okay, yeah. okay. Well, so it's a two week competition, and it's a really powerful way of getting people excited uh, about climate um, 
and about uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And there's a learning platform involved in it, etc. Um, and you know, we've run it a number of times now uh, in, in in really large companies, also mm-hmm. among SMEs. And so far, all the uh, unanimous experience has been that this is very a good way of getting people to a understand how the, you know that they can actually make a difference by with taking small actions and b feel empowered and i think that's a really important work, word that people go actually you know i know this climate change stuff is really big and really urgent and really depressing but i can make a difference i you know i'm not going to solve yeah. it by myself but now i know at least where i can start and that's that's really beautiful i think can you talk to me about tangible benefits from this because like I hear what you're saying and it sounds to me fantastic and I know as an employee over the years I would have loved to have had something like this in my workplace but there will be those listening who think well do you know what I only have two or three or four people on staff we're we're really under pressure as it is we're only a small company I don't think we actually have the time for this. Do you know, so how I can see where it works in large companies like the ones that we've mentioned, where they're used to having things like maybe an inclusion team or an LGBTQ, LGBTQIA plus team, um, you know, where they can do all of these things at scale. But what about for the smaller companies where it, Time really is money, and people are already stressed out. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I absolutely have to ad- admit that that is a, a real challenge. Um, but I would like to think of it also as an opportunity. I, I myself, I work for a really small company. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's eight of us, and we're always stretched and uh, running, you know, to keep up with ourselves, you know. Um, so then, yeah, you wouldn't go, oh, yeah, let's all take a day off and do a training on X or Y. You just can't afford that. But actually, the other way around is also larger companies. Like a lot of the SMEs, they make their money by selling to larger companies. Now, larger companies will be looking at their supply chain. Uh, so they are going to change some of the conditions that they put on their on their suppliers. Mm. Um, so if you are not, as a small company, able to say, well, we're doing something at least in this area, you're going to lose out on all kinds of businesses because you're just not going to get those contracts because the larger companies will want to see you do something in uh, on, on biodiversity, on climate. Uh, so you can wait till they force it on you or you can say, well, actually, I need to get with the program now um, and I have to start learning what the lingo is and I have to understand what the young people are talking about. And, and you know, I think what we do with that climate competition, for instance, uh, it's a very small investment uh, for you in in terms of time. And you can it's a competition that you can actually, it is essentially just logging on to a platform once a day and logging some uh, information there. Um, so you can do it. If you're if you're very good at it, you can do it in thirty seconds. Um, you probably can say, you know, realistically, you need to be, spend about ten minutes a day. Uh, and I think you'll, you know, if once you've done it, you'll notice that it is actually very, very uh, empowering, and um, you, you know, you, 
you'll see the benefits of, of doing this sort of stuff. So like, talk to me then. So say like, like I'm imagining now the Midlands 103 newsroom, you know, it's a pretty much a standard office environment, you know, what, what, what could they be doing? You know, what, what changes could an office, um, you know, make in terms of doing something positive for the environment? Well, um, that's a the, yeah. You could start with you know you mentioned earlier uh, your your waste disposal. You know, mm-hmm. uh, do you have three different bins or do you still throw everything in in the one go that it ends up in the in the black bins? Um, but also have a have a think as you know where do you get your energy from? Who's your supplier? Are they uh, you know a fossil fuel based supp- energy supplier or can you can you are you getting green energy? How is, where's your heating? How is it done? Uh, you know, uh, is there a way there? Can you, I don't know. You you probably don't own the building. You're probably renting it from somebody. So uh, then again, it, that's about your supply chain. You know, ask your landlord, what are you doing to try and reduce our energy bills and to try and get out the building as, as such? So to for companies listening to our conversation now and it for, for, for staff and managers, this wouldn't necessarily be an awful lot of work from what I'm hearing from you. This could be, depending on your size, at the beginning at least, a paper-based exercise, a bit of research, you know, look at your electricity provider, see which one is, you know, can, first of all, is it a, is it green? Is it, you know, solar slash wind um, or fossil fuels? Uh, and then you might as well, when you're on the phone to them all, ask them, can they do you a better rate? Because, you know, save a few yeah. cents here and there. Because um, if you're going to do the research, you might as well. Um, okay, look at your waste disposal. Are you, like, are you, okay, fair enough, wonderful. Like, I know we have, like, say, in the station, there's, there's there is recycling, but, you know, maybe we're using too much paper. You know, maybe, you know, things like this that we could all do. And I'm not pinpointing Midlands 103, but I'm just, you know, as an example of a company that doesn't necessarily have a blatantly obvious environmental impact. I think for some companies, it's easier to make the connection. But for somebody in a a standard office, they just might not know where to start. Well, that's that's exactly the point. And I, I, it might sound really corny, but I think the best weapon you have to fight climate change is your mouth, your voice. So, you know, just raise it as a question. Uh, I, I would say, you know, don't expect miracles. But look, if you're next time you are going uh, and buying the coffee for your canteen, I presume you have one. Uh you know, where what coffee do you buy? Is it just mm. the cheapest coffee or are you buying organic coffee? Now, uh, or just if if it, you get it supplied, you know, um, just ask the questions. Do we really need to have plastic cups in the office, you know, for the water um, water fountain, or can we actually stay, say no, folks? Those are banned from now on, can, and we everybody needs to bring their keepy cup. Um, just ask the question. You know, you don't have to make the change. Uh, you have to just start asking, and yeah, all your suppliers. The, you know, you're right. Like, are we using, do we really need that much paper or can we save our documents online? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do we actually need to have all these deliveries? Uh, you know, all just ask the question. And I think that's why there's such a, you know, a green team or, you know, a, a staff meeting from time to time where you just ask each other these questions because every company, even small ones, they're quite multidimensional and there's so many little things that you wouldn't have thought of. And if you 
if you were charged, you know, you say tomorrow, Ashton, you're the you're the green person and the sustainability officer in, in Midlands 103. Yeah, you'd sit behind your desk and you've an empty piece of paper and you make a list. You're li- you'd end up with a nice list, but your list would be 10 times too short because of mm. all the things you haven't thought of. And the only way to make the list longer is to ask people, uh, you know, and uh, just to see what what did they think of. Um, well, at the end of the day, two heads are better than one is a cliche for a reason. Yeah. You know? And actually, this is also funny. Like I was in a company and people were saying, oh, yeah, we're so bad. Um, we don't we don't even uh, do our, you know, our um, waste separation. And I said, oh, that's bad. But, you know, you have solar panels on the roof. Did, oh, really? We do. <laughs> you know, so. um it's 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 also that people tend to focus on the things that's right in front of them. Uh, so you know, yeah, look at yeah. look at all the aspects of your um, of your operation. But and I think it's important as well to look at this as a as a branding a marketing exercise as well. Like over the summer months here in Let's Go Green. Um, we featured Lorraine Nocton from OB1 Hairdressing uh, Salon in Kildare and they have become a green salon. And one of the things that Lorraine has quite frankly, enforced is no plastic bottles, no coffee cups. She has bought in branded OB1 keep bottles and cups. Clever. So, okay, fair enough. She she enforced it. She spent the money on buying it in. But now everybody drinks from a branded item and then they're out and about with these things and they see the logo. And that's very influential from a, a branding and marketing perspective. So, you know, there are... This might feel like an academic exercise, but there are proven tangible benefits that will boost engagement with companies, boost your sales, boost your supply chain. So, you know, it's not just for the environment that you're doing this. There are are other benefits. Uh, A couple of months ago, I was talking to an owner of a supermarket and uh, like we were just looking at how how is your how could you green your business? And Mm. I was just. And he was talking, well, my bill, my costs are around refrigeration. You know, the amount I've old fridges, they're and old in his world is like 10 years old. Um, but the amount of money he pen, spends on electricity for these fridges is just frightening. So he was looking at, well, what, how can I change? You know, and uh, it's very, very expensive to change uh, all the supermarkets. But then he actually went, well, actually, you know what? You can just have sheeting in front of the the super or, or the fridges instead of having them completely open uh so with a smaller judgment he actually saved an enormous amount of money uh mm. so it's not just it, yes it's about awareness yes it's a, it's a it's about you know showing that you're you you care and that you're you know trying to do your best as a company but it actually in many cases also just a critical own look at your own uh Products and processes internally can actually save you money as well. And I know, and Lorraine said it on the show, so I'm not spilling any state secrets here, but they are now more profitable as a company than they ever were before. So this this is, it's proven to work. Yeah. Well, Hans, and if... There, and there is the issue also of that it, this change will come down the line as well. Yeah. As I said, you know, more and more large companies are just going to demand higher standards from their from their suppliers. So it's a, it, it's a good time to to rethink. Yeah, absolutely. And and to be able to be to be one one of the first doing something in your sector, it, it, it's always a good thing, generally speaking. But uh, Hans Zummer, if 
people um, want to get involved in this, want to get the advice of you and your team at Global Action Plan Ireland? How did they get involved in this? Yeah, so if I can plug two two websites, the Global Action Plan is, our, is the name of our organization and our, our website is globalactionplan.ie. And if you go to the business um, section of our website, then, then there's more information there or just the contact, click the, on the contact button and, and get in touch. And the other one is if you would like uh, to engage your staff in a really constructive and fun uh, entertaining and educational way, then please sign up for the climate competition. That's climatecompetition.ie. It's a business, it's a, a competition that's open to businesses only at this stage. We have one for other, uh, other community groups in April next year, but uh, now climatecompetition.ie, that's the website. Hands on, it's always a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you for joining us once again on Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I'll be back after the break. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. Well, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, Climate change is worsening, as the UN chief, Antonio Guterres, was talking about last week. And in a variety of speeches that he's made over the past number of days, he really hits hard on global leaders. And, you know, the the temperatures that we experienced in Ireland last week, the the flooding in Greece, the, the extreme weather conditions, it's now more obvious than ever that global action is needed. And speaking at the G20's gathering on Friday night, Mr Guterres said that global solidarity is needed now more than ever. We have no time to lose. Challenges stretch as far as the eye can see. The climate crisis is worsening dramatic, but the collective response is lacking in ambition, credibility and urgency. Wars and conflicts are multiplying, but efforts to advance peace are faltering. New technologies are raising red flags, but actions to contain the risks remain too slow and too piecemeal. Poverty, hunger and inequalities are growing, but global solidarity is missing in action. And I have come to the G20 with a simple but urgent appeal. We cannot go on like this. We must come together and act together for the common good. G20 leaders must show leadership in two priority areas. First, leadership on climate. The climate crisis is spiraling out of control. But G20 countries are in control. Together, G20 countries are responsible for 80% of global emissions. Half measures will not prevent full climate breakdown. Leadership means keeping the 1.5 degree goal alive, rebuilding trust based on climate justice, and advancing a just and equitable transition to a green economy. Well, that was UN Chief Secretary General Antonio Guterres there speaking in India on Friday night. To dissect what Mr Guterres has been saying, I'll be joined after the break by climate journalist John Gibbons. Stay tuned to Midlands 103. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. 
You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And we're joined now by environmental journalist John Gibbons. John, you're very welcome back to the show. Delighted to be here, Ashley. John, Antonio Guterres has issued some very stark warnings over the last week. He's made a number of public speeches urging global leaders that now is a time for solidarity and that it's just that he has, he's implied that things are crumbling beyond um, recognition and that really global leaders need to up their game in terms of tackling climate change. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good summary, really, of where we're at. And uh, I think Mr. Guterres has been very outspoken, as you said. He's really put it out there. And I think probably slightly unusual for the for the United Nations to be so outspoken. They tend to be, I guess, more more equivocal, let's say. And uh, on this instance and on this subject, uh, Antonio Guterres has been repeatedly mm. he has sounded the alarm. Earlier this year, he made similar uh, statements. And this time he said, and I quote, the climate system is breaking down. Our planet has just endured a season of simmering. The hottest summer on record, climate breakdown has begun. And a little while ago, you might recall, and your listeners might remember, that he he introduced the phrase global boiling. He basically said we've gone beyond global warming and we've gone into a phase called global boiling. Now, it might sound to some a little hyperbolic, but uh, the actual statistics of the summer of 2023 certainly bear them out, Ashley. And if I can give you some of the top mm. top line things that we've experienced. Last month, uh, which is August, that was the hottest August uh, on record globally. And these are records, by the way, going back, like instrumental records going back to the middle of the 19th century. So these are these are pretty, pretty reliable records. It's also the third straight month in a row that we've had record temperatures set. Uh, July 2023 was the hottest month in human history that we know of, right? And while we have instrumental records going back to the 19th century, um, climate scientists estimate that this is probably the hottest month that Earth has experienced in about 125,000 years. So we've kind of exited the the what's called the interglacial period, which we've been in for the last uh, 10,000 years or so, and we're moving into a, to a hothouse uh, phase called sometimes known as a super interglacial. Uh, humans basically have never lived through a super interglacial. Uh, and I guess what we're seeing all around us is very strong uh, signals and very strong indications that the stable climate system that all of human civilization, all our cities, all our cultures, all our agriculture, all our food production systems that were developed in, that climate basically appears to no longer exist and is now being replaced by a much more extreme, much more turbulent and a much hotter climate system. To me, when you put those words on it, it's terrifying. Um, and I, and you yet, yet we still have people who will argue that this is simply cyclical and things will be all right in the end. Yeah, and uh, to be honest, who wouldn't want to believe that? I'd be delighted to believe that, but unfortunately, I'm not guided by belief. I'm guided by evidence, and I'm certainly find the scientific evidence around this very, very persuasive. Uh, you know, this is not a belief system. This is not the opinion of scientists. This is what. These are based on thousands of thermometer readings, tens of thousands uh, of data points, and really, really rigorous 
data collection. And in a, in a way, in case people are kind of wondering, well, you know, why now? Why is this happening? I suppose, put it in simple terms, every year, well, okay, every week, humans dump about a billion tons of heat-trapping gases into the global atmosphere every week. So about 50 billion tons a year. Now, those gases stay active basically for decades, centuries, and in some cases, millennia. So what goes up in, in climatic terms tends to stay up. It's not what goes up uh, comes down. So once we emit these long-acting gases, particularly carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide comes, as, as I'm sure you know, from the burning of fossil fuels. That's the number one source of, uh, of heating worldwide is the wide-scale burning of fossil fuels. This is coal, oil, and gas primarily. And of course, we use these, these uh, fossil fuels to power our civilization. We also use them in other things like the manufacturing of chemical fertilizers, in concrete production, and so on. So these, these uh, fossil fuels are deeply embedded in our civilization. Unfortunately, they're also destabilizing our civilization. So you could kind of say it's a little ironic. You know, human civilization, modern civilization was built on and built by fossil fuels. But unfortunately, it's turned out to be a, a bit of a Faustian bargain because the very fossil fuels that, that have given us our prosperity, that have given us our freedoms, uh, are now, it, it turns out to be a bit of a, shall we say, uh, you know, a poison chalice, maybe is the mm -hmm. best way to put it, uh, full of fossil fuels. And essentially, the, the consequences of continued unmitigated burning of these fossil fuels. And I would add, of course, uh, unmitigated methane releases as well worldwide. We have a huge problem with methane as well, uh, added to the problem that we have with fossil fuels. Put them together, and what we see basically is that the global uh, average temperature, say in August, um, has been about 1.5 degrees uh, centigrade hotter than the pre-industrial average. Now, that 1.5 degrees centigrade uh, if I can put it in human terms, that would be the equivalent of you or me running a temperature of about 39 to 40 degrees, right? Uh, at that temperature, you or I would be headed for, well, first of all, we'd be in bed. And mm. second of all, we'd be on the paracetamol. And third of all, if we couldn't get that temperature down, Ashley, we'd be in deep trouble. So Earth has a similar kind of a base temperature like that. And it's incredibly stable. We know, for example, that in the 10,000 years since the end of the last ice age, that temperature has that average surface temperature, which by the way, includes not just the land, but the world's oceans. That average surface temperature hasn't exceeded plus one degree centigrade. And, and this summer, we've gone plus 1.5. So we have shot out mm -hmm. of the, if you like, of the safety margin uh, for, for human uh, operation, if you like, within, within the, 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 the biosphere. But I would also stress that these temperatures are putting extreme pressure, not just on humans, but also on ecosystems all around us. Apart from the human pressures of deforestation and land use change and so on, we have enormous uh, pressures arising from it. And to give you a small example, uh, Canada this summer has had record wildfires like they have never experienced before. Now, Canada gets wildfires on an annual basis, but they Anything they've experienced in the past has been dwarfed by the wildfires of 2023. And I suppose what that tells us a little bit is that we're beginning to move into what are called positive feedbacks. That means as the temperature rises, then uh, things that, that we normally depend on to cool the planet, such as uh, our forests, because they, they draw down carbon dioxide and, and they hold it. Uh, and of course, we count on our forests for a lot of our, our so-called uh, 
carbon mitigation uh, projects are based around planting mm-hmm. forests. Obviously, if you plant a forest, okay, that will over time draw down a certain amount of carbon. Unfortunately, if that forest goes up in flames, all the carbon savings of the last 20, 30, 40 years from that forest, bang, released directly into the atmosphere in one go. So what we're finding, for example, with the Canadian boreal forests, they've turned from a net carbon sink, meaning they draw carbon out of the atmosphere, and they're now considered to be a source of carbon. Now, the Can I ask gigant- on that point, John? Um, yeah. Because we've, we've had now almost two years of war and intensive bombing um, in Ukraine. Uh, and like the so if the, the burning of the the lungs of the environment, the forests in say that you're talking about there now yeah. are releasing all that carbon into the air and can are contributing to these extreme temperatures that we're feeling. What about wars and the impact of that? Because like, and I'm, I'm highlighting Ukraine because it's the closest to us. I know there are uh, places of turmoil elsewhere. There has to be a role there too, though, in, in damaging the environment and contributing to all of this as well, I, I, I assume. Yeah, you're, you're entirely correct. Um, the Ukraine war, the various calculations have been done on its, on its impact in, in terms of, of, of emissions. Uh, and also, of course, the ecological disasters that have flowed from it. And the largest one was uh, the Russians blew up a huge dam a number of months back. Mm. And that created that created a regional ecological disaster. Absolute catastrophe for biodiversity in that region. And that was probably a bigger hit, if you like, on the planet, if I can put it that way, even than the carbon associated with the war. Uh, you can calculate carbon emissions for, for military and so on. Um, they're... They're significant, but relative to the billions and billions of tons of coal and oil and gas being burned, they're they're sort of significant, but by no means decisive. Okay. okay. Uh, in other words, if you know, and by the way, it'd be a wonderful thing if all the wars stopped, right? Especially mm-hmm. if Russia got out of Ukraine. Uh, but if all the wars stopped tomorrow, um, you, in terms of the effect it would have on the global climate, it would be. I'm sorry to say, it would be negligible. Because unless we power down our um, the, our fossil fuel usage and our methane emissions, uh, basically, and again, I'm paraphrasing Antonio Guterres a little bit here, but he used a phrase uh, recently along the lines. He said, we're on, we're on a highway to climate hell. And what I mean by climate hell, uh, I was looking at some footage earlier today. Um, there's an area in Greece, I think it's uh, 70,000 hectares of prime agricultural land in Greece is now underwater. It's been destroyed. This has happened. Uh, we've seen extreme flooding events right across Europe. And might be puzzled as to, you know, global warming. Why are we getting uh, flooding events? Are they connected? And the short answer is yes. Uh, we know, for example, that the hydrological cycle um, is intensified as the atmosphere warms. We know that uh, for every one degree of additional heat in the atmosphere, uh, it can hold an extra 7% moisture, water vapor. So what we're seeing are more catastrophic flooding events. And these are direct fingerprints of climate change. Now, the issue is here really people, is... Uh, there's been a lot of, well, anecdotal, I should say, complaints in the last week where we had those 26, 27 degree temperatures in Ireland, but but it felt much warmer because the humidity was that bit worse. That's right. In fact, I... I 
was coming out of Dublin earlier this evening and the, the dart broke down and we were stuck on, in a carriage in the dart. And I don't, I can't tell you exactly what temperature it was. I think it was about 25 degrees outside. And this is in early to mid-September, which by mm-hmm. the way is pretty strange. But within a few minutes in that carriage, it was probably heading for 35 degrees centigrade because the doors wouldn't open. We had the windows open, but the doors wouldn't open. And it was really a, a reminder to me and to other people in that carriage that how ill-prepared we are in Ireland, particularly for extreme weather events. We don't have, for example, the kind of air conditioning systems that they have in other countries. Uh, and of course, air conditioning is <laughs> is another one of these mm-hmm. issues where when the more air conditioning you run, the worse you make the problem because air conditioning uses vast amounts of energy, much of which, which is created by fossil fuels. So oftentimes it's like a, a dog chasing its tail. You know, we turn on the air conditioning to cool us off. And what does it do? it heats up the planet. So what do we do? We turn up the air conditioning some more. So we just spin around like a dog chasing its tail, as I say. So does it change yeah. though how we operate in that? Like I remember listening to somebody um, when schools started returning after the pandemic and there were complaints about the temperatures in classrooms because we had to have windows and doors opened for ventilation purposes and and people started putting um, thermometers into classrooms, which is something we'd never had before. And looking at the health and safety regulations around minimum and maximum temperatures of workplaces, it seems that we don't really, like even on that kind of a basic level of legislation around a minimum and a maximum safe um, temperature to work in, it's, we seem entirely unprepared. I think that's, I, again, I think that's a fair summary. Uh, and probably in Ireland, uh, most climate specialists will tell you that our greatest vulnerability in the short term in Ireland probably isn't to extreme temperatures. It's more likely to flooding events, to extreme precipitation. Uh, the, the, the shape of Ireland, essentially, uh, it's been described as being like a saucer. That we, we, it's kind of higher around the edges and lower in the middle. So the Midlands of Ireland, um, that, that is, you've got extensive low-lying areas, mm-hmm. very, very, very high risk of flooding. Uh, and particularly when we've drained, uh, tragically drained so many of our boglands. And the reason I say that is boglands are fanta- intact boglands are fantastic for absorbing rainfall. You, they will absorb thousands of tons of rainfall and hang on to it. When we damage and degrade our bogs, that rain then flashes off, pours into the rivers, uh, destroys farmland, uh, wrecks people's homes, uh, damages uh, other infrastructure. So some of these some of these problems, if you like, are a little self-inflicted, like I said, are, are damaging our bogs uh, has turned out to be a very, very short-term, very, very foolish, in my view anyway, uh, endeavor. Uh, it's been bad for biodiversity. It's been super bad for emissions. And it has turned out also to be uh, an own goal in terms of something that is really good at helping to prevent severe flooding damage, say in the Midlands, where you've got healthy, where you've got healthy bogs. And instead we see organizations like Bordnemona actively pumping water out of bogs and pumping it into the rivers. So what happens then, you get a severe flooding event and the rivers are already at high level because of this this water been pumped in. So guess what? Major flooding events. It's all over the RT news and everyone's saying, what can we do? We must do something. And then you hear people saying, oh, we should dredge the rivers. No, no, no. We need to work with nature. We've already done enough damage. What we need to do is to work with nature to restore floodlands and to allow our rivers, their floodplains back 
so that they, they can basically, rather than trying to, you know, we can't contain and control nature. We have to work with it and we've got to respect it. And as I say, that for me, that also includes uh, restoring our boglands and letting them do the things that they're very good at doing, which again, in our generation has largely been lost. How optimistic are you in terms of Ireland starting to take action on these matters? Like we're heading into now, we're in September, we're going to have the budget in October. We, we know we've got local elections definitely coming up in the next number of months. We've got a general election. You know, there's, there's, there was talk in the last few days that we could have a general election before Christmas, but we know there's one definitely coming in the not too distant future. And yet we are in this, you know, I have to mind my seat political system where politicians with all the best will in the world are trying to maintain their seat and trying to keep their constituents happy. And it's unlikely, I think, that climate change is going to be the issue that they meet on the doorstep in the coming weeks and months. I think that that again is 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 very fair, and I think it's accurate. Um, it was often said that prior to the financial crash in two thousand and eight, very few politicians were asked about the the stability of the financial system when they visited the doorsteps. Yeah. So then, now after the collapse, then everybody was an expert on the financial system. Now we're heading for the ecological version of a financial crash. I'll put it to you in very simple terms. The only problem is you can't bail out the climate. Um, we depend on a stable climatic system for everything. We depend upon it for our economy, our society, our civil infrastructure, our our engineering. Everything depends. And by the way, it was built around um, stable, the assumption of stable conditions. You know, we have huge amounts of infrastructure, for example, in Ireland uh, within a meter or two of sea level. We have uh, our Dublin port is a very obvious example. All our major cities uh, are located uh, in, in low-lying coastal positions that are highly vulnerable to sea level rise and to inundation uh, arising from storm surges. Because another important thing, actually, to say, on top of the effect of sea level rise, the North Atlantic, we, we've had, I've talked about some of the heat waves we've had over land. We've had incredible marine heat waves this year as well. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the world's oceans have been officially in heat wave conditions this year, which to me is uh, almost hard to, to imagine how, how, how worrying that is. But for example, in the North Atlantic, we have 40 million square kilometers of the North Atlantic. That's a lot uh, in heat wave conditions. Now, what heat waves, what marine heat waves, apart from how damaging they are for marine ecosystems, what marine heat waves provide is they provide the fuel for hurricanes. Now, which is why we're seeing such dramatic damage being caused by hurricanes, particularly over the United States in the last couple of weeks. That is correct. I mean, essentially, the rocket fuel for uh, cyclones, typhoons, as they call them in Asia, hurricanes, the rocket fuel that drives these, 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 that turns, if you like, a, you know, a weather phenomenon into a dangerous hurricane is sea surface temperatures. When they rise above a certain level, you have the fuel for hurricanes. Now, Ireland, because of the, I suppose, the, the particular meteorological conditions in the North Atlantic, hurricanes don't tend to cross from uh, west to east. But we've had we've had the tail end of, of hurricanes uh, bashing into Ireland. My concern is that as we see marine heat waves 
fueling up hurricanes, we're likely in Ireland to be battered as, you know, our marine, I'll put it to you this way. Our marine location has been, again, a double-edged sword. It has, the fact that we're surrounded by water has helped to mediate us and protect us from extreme high temperatures. Last, last July, sorry, July of 2022, the UK, for example, uh, hit and breached 40 degrees centigrade, never, never recorded before. Ireland escaped with much lower temperatures. Uh, but the maritime thing can, can, can also come against you. Because we have an awful lot of coastline, we are very—we're the first country, if you like, in northwestern Europe in the line of hurricanes tracking in from the North Atlantic. And when we've poured what are called zeta joules, these are trillions and trillions of joules of additional energy into the ocean, then you're likely to see that expressing itself with hurricanes potentially. Uh, on a scale that we haven't experienced in modern human history. These are highly well, John Gibbons, weather Unfortunately, phenomenon. I have to stop <laughs> you there because we are well out of time, but it is quite frankly, very worrying um, and something that we all on a personal level need to take far more seriously. But thank you so much for breaking it down for us in um, such basic and understandable language, John. It's, it's a pleasure to always have you on the show. Thanks very much, Ashling. All the best. We'll be back after the break. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that the topic before the break where I spoke with environmental journalist John Gibbons, you know, the language we used, it is quite worrying. It is very stressful and in many ways, it's frightening. And I don't use that word lightly. And I know a number of parents have been in contact with the show outlining their concerns about the level of climate anxiety that the young people in their lives have coming home from school, perhaps working on a geography project where they look at a climate change. And a doctor said to me um, in the last number of days that the children in his life were saying, well, like, it's all very well and good you teaching us about how bad the problem is. But when are you guys going to fix it? Because you caused it. As in us, the adults in the room. When are we going to do something about it to fix it? And it is a fair point. So this whole issue is one that I know I've mentioned on the show, that climate anxiety, which is very, very real because, you know, when you listen to pieces on the radio or on, on this show each week, it is worrying. It is frightening. I know it causes me some anxiety. Um we are going to have to learn to deal with it. So in the coming weeks, I am going to speak with a psychologist, Dr. Owen Gallivan. So please do stay tuned to Let's Go Green. I look forward to having that conversation with Owen in the coming days and and bringing that to you. But if you are interested in this particular area, perhaps you are in the psychology profession, I thought I'd let you know that this coming Friday, so that's September 15th, between 10 and 4, in Dublin at Pierce Street Library, so that's in Dublin too, Pierce Street Library, there is going to be a conference, a new climate for psychology. And this is a special interest group addressing climate and environmental emergency, the, the climate and environmental emergency. It's being organised by a collection of psych- psychology groups here in Ireland and it promises to be a very interesting event. Um, so it might be something worth checking out if you were in 
that area of medicine, um, you might be able to score some last minute tickets there. For now, though, um, we are out of time on Let's Go Green, so I do have to let you go. Before I do, though, just remember, if you'd like to suggest an item for the show, please do get in contact with me directly. Go on to www.midlands103.com. Click on the on air team and send myself a message. You'll see my face beside my name there, Ashling O'Rourke, on the website under on air team. It's a pleasure bringing you this show each and every week. And I do enjoy hearing from you each week and getting your ideas for the show. That's all we have time for this week. Stay safe. Have a great week. And I'll be back same time next week here in Midlands 103 with Let's Go Green. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more.